Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. About a week or so ago, uh, and I mentioned this in mingle time, I was walking through the bush, the scrub, the woods, whatever you call it, wherever you are from, and this thought came fully out of nowhere into my head. And I'll explain that because oftentimes revelation or thoughts that come to me from the Holy Spirit are the result of scriptures I've been thinking about or about a situation that I'm trying to discover God's will on. But this one just came to me exactly like this, and I'll say it to you. There's opportunity in your opposition. And I had no thought before that about any scripture particularly or about any background, but it was so imprinted in my mind that for the rest of that day walking through the scrub, I began to think about that and what it meant. My mind immediately went to David as he prepares to face Goliath. If you listen to his statement, and I'm going to read it to you out of 1 Samuel 17 verse 33, where David is brought before the commander-in-chief, who the Bible says, by the way, was head and shoulders above every other man in the entire country. Now he's facing the tallest man. So you would tend to think, wouldn't you, that the logical person to go up against Goliath ought to be the tallest man of Israel, who's Saul. But for some reason, Saul, well, I can guess the reason, he doesn't have the confidence that he can win. So he stays actually not even down at the battle. He's a long way away. And so eventually, as David makes the declarations that he makes, they bring David in front of Saul and listen to what David says. Well, Saul said to David, first of all, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, speaking about himself, used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And then when it arose against me, when it turned on me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, or as well, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, Go and the Lord be with you. It's marvellous, isn't it? How easy it is to encourage another person when they step out of their comfort zone, when they step into the place of faith, how easy it is if you don't have to go. David says, you go and the Lord go with you, but he has zero confidence that if he went, the Lord would be with him. I wonder how many of us see somebody else step out in faith 
And we look at it and think, well, thank God for them, but I know I could never do it. I just spoke with Tessie a few minutes ago. How many people there would be who would go, well, thank God for people like her and for others that have stepped out. Maybe not in that, maybe it's in kids' ministry. Maybe it's in some other area. And they go, I'm really, I want to be a part of the cheer squad. But can I tell you that in God, the only cheer squad is not humans, but angels. The Bible tells us that it's the angels that cheer on the people of God. It's the angels that celebrate. We are meant to be the players on the field. We are meant to be the ones who do the work that cause heaven to rejoice. So David says, but don't worry, I'm going to go. He doesn't go up there to Goliath to say, you ought to. How come you aren't going? But David goes and says, here am I, my Lord, send me. The prophet Isaiah had a vision of heaven when his hero, King Uzziah, who was a great military strategist, he had done many great public works and had changed the landscape of the structure of Israel. He was a phenomenal leader. And it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And then he heard the voice of the Lord say this, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And remember this young man, he's only young, is, is really aware that the person he admired the most, I know what it's like to serve somebody who you think is so far ahead of you who you think is so much more gifted than you, who you think is so much more God-called than you, that you admire them to the point that you diminish yourself. You look at yourself and go, God, Lord, compared to them, I'm a minnow looking at a whale. God, compared to them, I'm just a, a tiny little thing compared to this giant in the faith. And I noticed that David, like Isaiah, doesn't say, well, God, I hope you find somebody. God, I hope you can get someone out there that's willing to go. But King uh, Isaiah, Uzziah dies. And when Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord, whom shall I send and who will go for me? Listen to the response he gives in the book of Isaiah. He says, here am I, my Lord, send me. A young man, not equipped necessarily, not full of all the teaching and the training. I believe tonight that there's many of you that would look at yourself and say, I'm inadequate, I'm inexperienced, I don't have everything I think is necessary. But what God is looking for is not your experience. God's not looking for all of your spiritual talent and your wealth of knowledge about the Word of God. What He's looking for is somebody who will simply say, here am I, my Lord, send me. Can I say to you, that's not just young people. That's older people. When God came looking for somebody who'd be the father of faith, He went to an old age pensioner called Abram. He's 75 years old, living with his father and his father-in-law. He's staying there. He's a home guy 
And the Lord says to him, I want you to go from where you are into a land that I'm going to show you. And this man at 75, never disqualify yourself because of your experience or lack, because of your talent or lack, because of your spiritual strength or lack, or because of your age. Because God got a 75-year-old man and the book of Romans says He's the Father of all of them that believe. Come on, you may have retired, you may be on the pension, but don't disqualify yourself from what God can do with your life. I believe with all of my heart tonight that what the Holy Spirit is listing for as He hovers over this service is He's listing for those that are going to simply say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I'm not everything I'd like to be. I'm not everything I think other people might need or expect. God, I, when it comes to the size of the need, I feel so out of my depth. But God, if you can use me, here am I, my Lord, send me. And David declares that. Now, I better come to my message because none of that was in it. So uh, let me come to the message here. Because David tells King Saul, he says, Saul, don't worry about it because I've killed a lion and a bear. But here's the deal. There was no proof of it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he took the, the skin home. Maybe said, hey, Dad. And his dad might have said, well, where'd you find that? He goes, no, Dad, the bear came out after the flock. I got up and killed him. And I can only imagine David's brothers going, you've got to be joking. And I can only imagine David's father saying, sure, son. Yeah, and everyone at the dinner table that night chatting about how David's got delusions of grandeur and now thinks he's a mighty warrior. We know that because when the prophet Samuel came to anoint him, like Tessie spoke about in 1 Samuel 16, when the prophet Samuel turns up, they all go to his eldest brother, Eliab, who's the biggest one and then down through all the other brothers until finally when there's none left and Samuel says to, to Jesse, his dad, uh, he says, haven't you got another boy? Isn't there another son? And he goes, oh, heck yeah, forgot about him. Oh, he's now looking after the sheep. And so they wait until they drag him in from out in the back block somewhere or other and bring him in. I know that his family don't think much of him and yet God does. Can I say to you tonight, listen, never worry about everyone else's assessment of you. Don't bother about the opinions of the school teacher in year three who told you that you were stupid. Don't worry about the person who in your job gave you a bad report if it was undeserved. Don't worry about whether anybody at work thinks you're amazing or not. Don't worry about whether you graduated at the top of the class, magna cum laude, summer cum laude, or whether you are just cum loudly. Uh, don't worry about which one you are. All you've got to know is this, that if God is watching you, listen to me, if God is watching you in your battles, He takes note of the private victories and He's planning to give you some public ones. Are you with me? Come on, I feel like the Holy Spirit is so all over this service tonight. 
and whether it's tonight or today, wherever you are and you're a part of this, but there's so much revelation that's flowing here. Don't you worry about everyone else's assessment and that God is watching over you. Come on, some of you are fighting private battles and no one knows about them. They look at you and go, oh, their life's good. They got it all going on. They aren't seeing the private struggles, the battles that you are fighting on your own, on your knees, in the place of prayer, day after day, week after week. They're not seeing that. But I'm telling you that if you will fight your private battles well, God will give you public victories. Amen. If you fight your, someone should write that down because I don't have it written down. I'm going to want to remember it. If you will fight your private battles well, God will give you public victories. Everyone will get to see where it is that God has placed you. But first of all, listen to me. First of all, you've got to fight the private ones. So many people want to stand on a public stage. They want to be applauded, acclaimed. They want to get all the public uh, awareness and, and celebration of who they are. But they've never won their private battles yet. Make sure you fight them well. David had won great battles, the lion and the bear, but no one was there when he was victorious. And this opposition of Goliath represents his greatest opportunity because it's Goliath who establishes David's bona fides as a champion and as a leader. Before Goliath, he's forgotten. Even his own dad neglects to invite him to the visit the official visit, by the way, that's like having the Queen come to your house and you forget to tell one of your children. It's exactly the same. When the prophet Samuel came to someone's house for a feast, it was a huge deal. When he came to anoint Saul as king, the entire city turned out to meet Samuel. It was a big deal. It was a huge thing. Even Samuel said, I'm really in trepidation about going to Jesse's house because everyone's going to know I'm there and they're going to wonder why. And up comes this guy and they've neglected to say, hey, guess what? Tomorrow, the prophet Samuel's coming. They just forget to invite him. It's an incredible story. But after Goliath, the anonymous guy, the one that no one knows, after Goliath, all of a sudden, they're writing songs about him. It'd be like all of a sudden, you know, next week, out of all of the battles you've been through, you know, uh, what's his name? I can think of as Ben Sherman. I know that's not the right guy. What's his name again? Ed Sheeran, that's him. I can think of as Ben Sherman. And I'm going, can't be Ben Sherman. He makes shirts. Uh, but it'd be like, you know, a couple of weeks from now, Ed Sheeran comes out with a song singing about Sebastiano and Rashida. And Triple J is smacking out this great song, Sebastiano. Well, how am I going to do Ed Sheeran? I wouldn't have a clue what he sounds like. Well, I certainly can't imitate him. All I know is he's got ginger hair and plays guitar. That's about it. But imagine that. Imagine if next week after this, someone was writing songs that had your name in them. That's what happened with David. It's Goliath who establishes him. I'm reminded about Paul, who was the great apostle. 
In Acts chapter 25, after all the persecution of the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews, and after all the stuff that's put against him, they've dragged him before court after court after court until finally in exasperation. And as a freeborn Roman citizen, which he was, look at what he says in Acts 25.10. He says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you very well know. Every Roman citizen had the right, if they were judged guilty in this court, guilty in that court, guilty in that court, every single freeborn Roman had a final right of appeal to Caesar himself. And when Paul does that, well, you can only imagine what the Jews thought. You can only imagine what the devil thought. And I'm not equating those two, by the way. But the, the natural persecutors behind whom there was a spiritual force trying to stop this great preacher because he'd grown up at the feet of Gamaliel, the foremost apologist of his day, the greatest theologian there was in that time. And so when Paul, who had already established himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrew and a Pharisee of the Pharisees and all this law that he kept. Now this guy starts preaching the grace of Jesus Christ and it frustrated the heck out of the religious people because he had an answer for everything they said. Every argument where they brought the law, he'd bring grace. And they'd come, oh. so much so that at one point, I think it was a hundred men or a bunch of men, took a vow that they would not eat or drink until they'd killed him. An assassination squad was sent after him. And I can only imagine what the devil thought when Paul says, I appeal to Caesar because he's nowhere near there. And now he's got to go all the way to Rome because Caesar wasn't coming to him. And so he gets out. It'd be like, instead of being here in Perth, it'd be like all of a sudden I had to make a trek to London. You got to go a long way away, and I can imagine the devil going at last. Good riddance. He'll struggle there in Rome. I've read the history of, of uh, Rome and some of the stories out of that. My goodness gracious. They were barbaric. Oh, look, I know they did a lot of good things. They taught us how to build aqueducts and great roads, and there's still great roads in Britain, and thank you for all of that. But I'm telling you, a lot of their practices were so unbelievably barbaric. Uh, they invented crucifixion because it was the most torturous way to kill someone. And I can only imagine what it must have been like when Paul says, I want to go to Caesar, the devil going, good riddance, it's all over. But do you want to know something? The enemy always overreaches, always. The enemy always overreaches. He always stretches beyond. I wonder what activities that are against you at the moment that the enemy is overreaching in. He thinks he's got you right where he wants you. He thinks he's shifted you. There are people who are a part of this service and your job is in jeopardy and the enemy is gloating because you made a commitment and destiny offering. And now, oh, look where that's going to. But listen to me, you need to know this. Write it down, keep it somewhere where you can read it again. The enemy always overreaches. That relationship that went so rocky and bad and now all you have is sorrow and grief. But can I say to you, if you will seek God, if you will make God your priority, if you will 
put your heart before Him. The enemy always overreaches. Let me just read this one verse and uh, I'm going to have to move quickly on here. But Philippians 4 verse 22, this apostle, I appeal to Caesar, goes to Rome. This is what he says. All the Christians here, especially the believers who work in the palace of Caesar, want to be remembered to you. The centre of power of the known world of Paul's day was not Jerusalem, but it was Rome. And when the enemy thought good riddance and overreached and sent or allowed Paul to go, all of a sudden Paul goes out to this other place. And what happens? People who are on Caesar's staff give their life to Christ. Paul's discipling people at the very centre of Rome. History tells us that a little bit later after that, not that many Caesars later, they tell us that Rome made Christianity the official religion of the empire. And I wonder whether some of that wasn't coming out of the work of an apostle who went as a lone believer into the midst of unbelievable ungodliness. But the result of it was Philippians 4 verse 22. There's a lot of things I could say here tonight, but for the sake of time, let me draw this to an end. I could talk to you about Luke 4 verse 1. You can read it when you get home. How Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit after His baptism. But after His testing in the wilderness, it says this in verse 14 of Luke 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. There's a shift happens. He's full of the Spirit, wins private battles. There's no one there when Jesus is fighting the devil. He wins private battles, comes out of that. Listen to it again. comes out into public victory. Because the next part of the verse says, and everyone around about him. The news of him went all through the surrounding region. Listen to me again. If you will win your private battles, God will give you public victories. There's a shift. The key for all these stories and what they have in common is this. Don't get locked onto the battle, but see the victory. If I had time, I'd take you through all the things that everyone else said David's upcoming battle with Goliath, what they said about the battle to come. All the men of Israel are afraid. Eliab says, you know, you're just a cheeky upstart. You should go home. Saul told him, as we read, you're not able. But David said before the battle, he said, the Goliath is dead meat. Can I say to you tonight that prayer is not telling God how big your problems are. Prayer is you telling your problems how big your God is. Because your conversation reveals your expectation. What are you speaking about at the moment? I'm going to pray in a minute We're with people here who are facing a Goliath in your finances. And it's not like we pick a subject at random or plan it, but it comes out of the Holy Spirit because I, I know that there are people that are a part of this service, either now or later, and your finances are under pressure, your job or your business is under stress and you're facing a battle. But I want to tell you that I believe with all my heart 
that if you will go into that seeing the victory and not the battle, don't see the size of the giant, don't tell everyone how bad it is, what the economic forecast looks like, what your particular industry is going through. Go to that giant and start telling them how big your God is. But my God shall supply all my need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight and for all that you've done and all that you will do. Lord, I know there's many people that have been fighting private battles. They haven't gone talking about it. They haven't gone complaining about it, whinging about it, getting sympathy for it. They've just battled it. And God, I believe that tonight you want them to hear that you've been watching over their private battles. When no one else saw them, you've seen them. And Lord, your plan and your design is that you will take them from the victories that are private to victories that everyone will see. And people will celebrate the greatness of God. And they'll say, look what God did for them. What a wonderful miracle. Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name for men and women, young people that are facing economic pressure, financial stress, jobs that are under pressure. Lord, I know that's not everyone. There are people here that are part of this service for whom life's never been better. But God, I know there's many others that are in a place of pressure. There's a battle going on. And I pray, God, that you'll help them. Strengthen them, Lord, in their inner life so that as they go to battle privately, they'll know that you're with them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what my heart longs for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, in Jesus' name. you stay with us, you can have prayer in the service or else online. Pastor Bruce and Solomon will be praying with people shortly in ministry time. And I hope you take advantage of that and let us believe with you. I never tire hearing the stories of people that have said yes to Christ. It's honestly one of the greatest privileges of my entire life. For many, many years now, I remember our first service 32 years ago on the 7th of February, 1988, I think, wasn't it? 32 years ago, down in the Rod Evans Senior Citizen Centre. And I remember asking people to give their life to Christ in the first service and then the next one at night. And every single service all the way through, we've asked people, would you say yes to Christ? I hear stories back from people all literally around the world. I've heard people come back and tell me the story. It was a lady not that long ago said, you probably don't remember me, but I said yes to Jesus. In one of the services, my husband and I, she said, are now pastoring in, I think it was Tasmania or South Australia. And I was so chuffed. But you know, saying yes doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. I've heard of other people have just said it my life got transformed. Now I'm working in politics or now I'm working for the government. Now I'm a teacher. 
But every single time I hear it, they tell me how that moment of yes was the pivotal moment that transformed their life. That's why we never rush through this moment. We're not trying to get to anything else or to the end. You can say yes to Christ. It's so easy to do so. It's a very spiritual thing. But the natural outworking of it is simply this. You text yes if you're in Australia, 0488 826 392. I'll say it again. 0488 826 392. You can do it if you're in the building or if you're a part of the service online. Do that if you're in Australia. If you'd prefer to get the help we'll give you, if you'd prefer to get it via email or you're outside of Australia, then you go to yes.metrochurch.org.org.au and if you send us your yes, then the very next day and every day for 30 days, we'll send you a scripture that comes from us. It's one of our staff that does it. Solomon actually. And we'll send that to you along with a prayer. It's on one screen of the smartphone. We're not spamming you, bombarding you. We're giving you a moment that'll help you walk with God. And I really pray you'll say your yes to Jesus and honour Him in every way.